on this episode of the High Quality Fun Podcast, we talked to Todd. Todd has this this goal to visit every single continent in the world, and he's currently done five of the seven. Uh, Todd tells us about how he hiked up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, um, how he almost died with a buddy in Iceland getting stuck in a snowdrift, and we we go back and forth and riff on one of the trips that we took through Michigan. Uh, this is a really fun story. Todd's a great storyteller. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome to the High Quality Fun Podcast. Today we have Todd on. Uh, Todd and I used to work together at Ford Motor Company. We've both since left there. Um, how are you doing today, Todd? Pretty good, pretty well. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, a little hungover. I had a work event yesterday and uh, you know got a, got a hotel down in Ohio and had a little bit too much fun on the company's dime. That's the best time to do it. Yeah, I got, some, uh, I got a little whiskey here, so this will probably... That's not a little bit of whiskey, man. That's a lot of whiskey. (laughs) There's some Verners in here too. Ah, all right. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of your travels. You've kind of been around the world, and before this episode, you were telling me about one of your travel goals. Uh, it sounds like you actually just got back from the Bahamas. So can you maybe tell us what that was all about, and that'll lead right into this this goal you're trying to achieve? Ah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, like we were talking before. Um, I traveling the world has always been something I've wanted to do, but it always seemed like a, uh, a pipe dream for me. I, I grew up pretty poor, never really had that opportunity. Um, but now that I do have that opportunity, I've been making it a point to travel around the world. Um, early on when I started working at Ford, I realized that I had the ability to sort of just go wherever. So I used to do that. I used to just buy the cheapest ticket international and just go there for a weekend or three days or four days. But now that I've uh, sort of been to a few places, I set my goals a little bit differently. I'm actually now trying to um, go to all seven continents. So this year in 2023, I I went to Africa and we can talk about that a little bit because I I did some pretty cool things there. in 2024, I'm planning on going to Australia. Um, I'm uh, really uh, looking forward to getting to um, scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef, which is going to be really awesome. But um, I started my scuba certification because I never had that just so I could do this on this trip. And uh, turns out in the Midwest, you can't really get your scuba certification or the open water portion of your scuba certification um, anywhere because it's it's cold and and all the the scuba um instructors and shops are all shut down for the winter time since i'm going in april i actually had to accomplish it this winter which means that i had to go somewhere warm um didn't really want to spend the time or the energy or the effort to go anywhere but since i am going to australia and i have to get my scuba certification i uh, decided that I would go to the Bahamas and 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 finish it there. Uh, so I just got back actually Christmas Day from the Bahamas where I completed my open water portion and now I am fully scuba certified. So I can go to Australia and do it there. I know uh, I was talking to Rich and uh, and Danielle about this the other the other day and they were making fun of me. They were trying to tell me I'm in a different tax bracket because I, get, I, I have to go to the Bahamas now so that I can go to Australia. Made them made me sound bougie and bullshit like that. I told them to come back and talk to me when they needed uh, when they needed to get their scuba certification. But um, it actually turned out being a lot cooler than I expected. I thought that they would just send us out and uh, go scuba diving with uh, you know with the instructor, and we would just go in some shallow part and just complete the certification. But what actually happened. Uh, end up happening was that we went out on the boat with the rest of the scuba divers and they sent a, an instructor with me so we would do all of the um scuba certification stuff up top 10 minutes just about and then i'd go do the dive with the rest of the divers so i got to experience some of the things that people paid a lot of money for which i only paid for my certification which was quite a bit less than the actual dives so we it was uh scuba certification over two days and uh each day I had to do two dives and 
each dive consisted of about 40 minutes, which is your limit for uh, for somebody who's a beginner like me. Um, anyway, I saw a ton of shit that was way beyond my expectations. They actually do a, a shark dive in the Bahamas, and I got to swim with, I don't know, I would say two or three dozen uh, reef sharks. Was They were all around me. I really didn't expect this. I didn't expect to do anything that was actually that cool. So I didn't take, I didn't have the ability to videotape it. Videotape, man, I'm old. I didn't have the chance to video <laughs> or take any pictures or anything like that. So uh, I assume this was all in open water. Any evidence it wasn't, but what's that? It was all in open water too. It wasn't in like a cage. No, not at all. Yeah, it, it was in open water. It was awesome, man. Um, the the sharks. I guess the sharks that swim around in warm waters like that, they're they're harmless. Unless you bug them, then they'll start bugging you, but they're only gonna bug you if you're irritating them. They're not gonna eat you. Yeah. But yeah, and then a couple of the other dives, we so where we were, the Bahamas um is around like a a, a continental um shelf. And we were uh diving most of the um the reef around the shelf and then we went over the shelf and i guess the shelf goes down about six thousand feet something like that but Holy where God. we were was 60 feet right on the shelf is 60 feet and then we went down probably another two or three feet just to see the coral on the edge of the shelf so we did that and then there was a uh, shipwreck apparently around the bahamas they're sinking ships to create artificial reefs because they're dying off so we got to see the shipwrecks that were on the shelf and then uh, we did another open water dive further out where we just saw a bunch of coral and, and a lot of tropical fish. I wasn't expecting any of that, but um, it actually ended up being an adventure that was unanticipated. So I, I really enjoyed that. How uh, how much visibility was there when you went over that shelf? Because I, I used to go to, when I was younger, I went to church with this family that they were big scuba divers. And I remember... I remember them telling me one of the kids uh so the mom was a big scuba diver and they took the kids and the kid told me that he went and he was like he loved it he's looking one way he could see everything and he turned around and it was just like a void of nothingness and he had like a mini panic panic attack because he just saw this emptiness that was probably millions of miles worth of water with so much unknowns and i don't know i I think I would be a little bit on edge if I went scuba diving just because of like that visualization and that thought and how vast the ocean is. Yeah, uh, visibility was probably about 10 or 15 feet, um, okay. which my understanding was pretty good for wintertime in the Bahamas. Uh, when we were up, you know, at 60 feet on the shelf, you could see, you know, you could see all the way back up to the surface. You could see the boat and everything. But once we got close to you know the shelf, it, you know you could see that the water was much uh, darker. But all around us, we could see the, the 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 sea life and everything to see was you know up on the shelf. If you went out past it, yeah, it was dark and it was murky. But there's really nothing to see. Or there were really no reason to venture out that way. Also, I'm not certified to go that deep, and nobody in our in our um, in our group was certified to go that deep. So. You know, I, I you saying that panic attack. That I had never been scuba diving in the open water. Uh, the I had to do the confined portion, which I said you know before we did in the swimming pool here. Um, when I got the first time I went down, and I was down about 40, 45 feet, I I sort of had that same kind of feeling, right? Like not a panic attack, but I can understand why this is frightening to some people, right? Because your your life is right there, right, right in front of you. All you have to do is just take that regulator out, breathe in once, and you're done, right? So I ended up grabbing, you know, like the jaws of death on that on that regulator. But after two or three dives, you you get a, you know, not that I'm an experienced diver or anything, but you get a you get a certain uh, comfort level, and it, it it just sort of gets easier the more you do it. Put it that way. Yeah, because really uh, cool. what happens in, I don't know, diving around here, I guess you do it in like a, uh, a rock quarry and there's things to see, but not like there. When I was diving, it was just always constantly, you know, there was there was 
something assaulting my senses, right? And so at a certain point, I just stopped concentrating on breathing and, you know, oh, oh my God, my life is on the line. It just turned into, oh God damn, this is really cool, man. Like I saw, you know, some of the more interesting things were, were like tiny little fish that were like, you know, blue and purple and green and, and really long skinny fish. I even saw, there was a, uh, my, my instructor, uh, uh, was trying to point out something to me and it took me a while to figure out what he was doing, but he finally got my attention and I swam down. I got down to the, uh, the very bottom of the, uh, the shelf and looked up underneath this piece of coral and it was a lobster, the size of a refrigerator, man. That thing was gigantic. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like that. And I didn't realize lobster could get that big, but, um, when I got back up topside, everybody was telling me, Oh yeah, that's the wily old, lobster because he's never been caught but as long as they can they'll grow they'll just keep growing until they just can't grow anymore and they get gigantic yeah i wonder if you can eat them when they're that big because you never ever see lobster I, that big in tanks or anything i think you can but i don't know if anybody ever has they everybody that i said oh man i saw a lobster the size of a you know a labrador and they they were they were everybody was saying, oh man, we'll have that for Christmas. You should have caught that thing. So I, I'm assuming maybe they do once in a while, but I I I I didn't know they could get that big. Yeah, huh. it's pretty damn cool. It's probably different. It's probably different too because we're like where we are. They import lobster. You don't really catch it in the Midwest. So <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. I'm also thinking that like it's less good or something. Where it was right because it. All the dive sites that we went to are regular dive sites and they're going out and, and sending people out there diving all the time. So I'm thinking that if the if lobster, you know, um, trappers or whatever you call them, I don't even know what you call them, are trying to cap, uh, you know, catch fish and whatever and lobsters and crabs in that area, they're just going to be scared away because all the divers and all the activity that's happening in that area. Or it may be illegal. I don't know. I also got the impression that there weren't really that many rules in the Bahamas. Like I could see that. The, the 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 laws aren't the same as they are and i'm sure you've experienced this when you travel around the world you go to different places the the rules are the, the rules are different and that is some people maybe they pay attention to them maybe they don't it seems like in the bahamas there really aren't that many laws or rules or whatever you can just do whatever you want so yeah, who knows i mean i kind of caught that vibe when we uh we went to Santorini, Greece for our honeymoon and we just like rented a side by side with no local license, just ripping around the island and it was totally normal. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. So you said that you're doing Australia in 20, so this year, 2024. How many continents have you gone to? So now it's five, right? And then um, in 2024, it will be six. Yeah. So. My plan is to go to um, the to go to Antarctica in 2025. I still have rough plans for that, but but that's the plan. Yeah, I I have I have the trip completely planned out for Australia, uh, New Zealand, and Tahiti. Um, it's going to be three weeks. I'm spending a week in each location. So Australia for a week, and then um, I'm doing what they call a live aboard. So I'm doing a four day live aboard on the Great Barrier Reef. So I'll be spending uh, four days, three nights on a boat with, I think, 30 other people who are all divers. And they just, the boat just is traveling around the Great Barrier Reef to all the the scuba diving sites. And we'll be doing like three or four scuba dives every day, including two night dives, I think. So yeah, that's the plan. And then um, from there, I'm going to New Zealand. I'm planning on doing a road trip around the North Island, similar to what I did in Iceland. And then, um, and then I'm going to Tahiti, and just relaxing in Tahiti for a couple of days. I now that I have my scuba certification, I'm thinking of doing some scuba diving in Tahiti because I hear it's amazing, but I haven't put that plan together yet. Yeah, isn't uh, New Zealand where they shot like Lord of the Rings and Avatar and everything? Yes, uh, I don't know about Avatar, but um, they did shoot Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. Uh, a lot of the scenes that you see with like the rugged outdoors were were filmed on the southern island. I guess all of the activities and the fun, crazy things to do are all in the southern island. 
and unfortunately, um, I don't have time to see that. So I'm, I'm regretting that because I may never go back, but um, I am going to Hobbiton. It, it wasn't really a plan of mine to go to Hobbiton because I, I could care less, but it's it's on my it's along the route, put it that way. So I'm going to stop and check it out. Yeah. And which is in the Northern Island. Yeah. And you guys can't tell, but Todd's a pretty giant person. So he'll be like Gandalf hunting <laughs> through that place. I'm not giant. I'm just a little bit taller than most people. <laughs> uh, okay. So perfect transition. You mentioned Ireland uh, or not Ireland, Iceland. And I yeah. know this is a very funny story that I don't remember all the details to. So let's just dive right into that. Yeah. Um, Todd, Todd went and traveled there with one of our buddies. And I, I, I think most of the time you're traveling with people that we used to work with. I don't know if you're going out with them to Australia or anything, but uh, uh, did was it just you and Brett when you went to Iceland? Yeah, 2018, July of 2018, Brett and I went to Iceland. Um, I've never been there before, so I wanted to see it. It was something, it was some place that I've always wanted to go. So it seemed uh, like everyone was going there at this time. Like I think there was a cheap flight that could get you there. Yeah. And I don't even know you if remember that existed. Wow. Wow Airlines. Do you remember that? I yeah, I remember the name. So Wow Airlines was a Icelandic airline that went out of business because they just I think That's their funny. eyes were too big for their belly, but they they were giving cheap flights to um Europe as long as you had a layover in Iceland, right? But if you wanted to fly to Iceland, man, you could for really cheap but you had to go to chicago i think to get on wow yeah i i i i actually drove to toronto to take a wow flight to iceland for that flight i think brett flew out of detroit and we met up in reykjavik we met up in reykjavik and i think he got there before me and he stayed like a day before me and hung out in reykjavik i don't know have you have you been to iceland no i haven't yeah uh reykjavik I, I don't, I understand why WOW went out of business. They were offering like two day layovers just so you could visit Reykjavik. And uh, to be honest, like, I don't want to poo poo ever traveling the world, but like Reykjavik, you spend like a day there and that's good. Uh, it, you, you can see the whole city. There's really not much to do there. And uh, Iceland is really expensive. It is incredibly expensive. We, 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 spent one night there and decided that we were going to go bar hopping, whatever, in downtown Reykjavik. And basically everybody told us in the summertime, the sun stays up forever, right? The sun really never goes down. So you have to go to happy hour to get beer that's affordable, but happy hour isn't till like midnight. So we, we tried to like survive that long, but really couldn't do it. But you go to the bars and a beer is like $12, man. And that was back before inflation. So I bet today it's even freaking more expensive. And the food is not good. Everything is from there is, you know, they, they, they don't import anything. So all of the ingredients that they cook with, they're all local. And it's like sheep soup. And it was, it just is really bland. Yeah. But um, Brett and I went there. Mm, I want to say in early July, our plan was to do what they call the ring road and drive around the island. If you want to go into the interior of the island, you really need a hardcore four by four. And um, just like everything else, renting a four by four in Iceland is stupid expensive. So we rented what we got, uh, what we could afford. And it was just a little all wheel drive. Um, I think it was a Fiat Panda, which is, they don't sell those in the United States, but it's a tiny little vehicle. And they said it was off-road capable, but it 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 was barely off-road capable. <laughs> we set out uh, from Reykjavik and went um, on the ring road. We went uh, counter counterclockwise, I guess. Uh, just seeing the sites that we could along the coastline and that we could with the paved roads. Turns out that you can't really do that all on paved roads. It It was stupid insane um one of the one of the hills that we climbed was all a dirt road and to save money you actually rent a car people don't really want to drive manuals but they still sell manuals in iceland for some reason so you can save money if you know how to drive a manual and rent a manual in iceland this hill that we were going up 
was uh, it wasn't even that steep, but this car was so underpowered that we were in first gear, just doing like 30 miles an hour up this slope just to get up it. And this is part of the ring road where Google told us to go. And it was just this stupid, like loose gravel dirt road up a hill. I, I thought we were going to go off the side two or three times in first gear at 30 miles an hour. It was insane. But luckily we survived. Uh, I know you, you probably want to talk about the last part of the trip though right when we got stuck yeah yeah i mean you can get there however you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh we you know they actually filmed part of um Lord, uh, not lord of the rings uh what's the uh why am i blanking now the uh the hbo series the the fantasy hbo series oh, game of thrones game of thrones so we actually, they filmed a lot of Game of Thrones there. So we actually went to a couple of the Game of Thrones, um, a couple of the Game of Thrones location, filming locations. The first place that Ingrid and, uh, and Jon Snow uh, had sex, we went in that cave, just Brett and I. It was romantic. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> did you read, did you recreate the scene? No. No. Actually, so we wanted to go, wanted to go in hot springs. I couldn't hear you. I said, what happens in the cave doesn't get talked about. <laughs> uh, we wanted to go in the hot springs, but then there was a sign on the way into the hot spring that said, just don't go in the water. It's like toxic. So it's like too hot and toxic. So you'd probably die if you spent too much time in there. So they didn't want anybody going in. It was just like, go in the cave, see it, see Game of Thrones, and then and then leave. Uh, turns out that when we were there, it was the coldest and wettest summer in a hundred years is what we were told. So even though we were there in the summertime, it was not like a hospitable uh, 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 climate to be there. It, 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 every night our plan was to camp because it's stupid expensive to get a hotel or a hostel there. So we would just pull off the side of the road at a campsite, set up camp, but it was too cold to sleep so we would just party inside. We had like a bottle of Jameson, I think, and like two 12 packs of what they call Viking beer, which is like their beer, their local like piss water. We would just hang out in the car where it's warm, right? Get drunk and then use that to go to sleep, right? So every night it was uh, not the trip that we really expected, but towards the end of the trip, we, That's uh, pretty common where people go there and camp everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, it is actually. That's so. Again, back to the rules thing. There used to be no rules about it, but apparently in 2018 is when they changed that because the local farmers were getting upset that people were just pulling off and and camping in their property. So mm. when we got there, they had just started a, a law that says you have to camp at a campsite, which. It's fine. I didn't have a problem with that, but we ended up paying, I think, like 20 bucks to camp, like per person, each campsite every night when we were expecting to do it for free. 20 bucks is no big deal, but I mean, <laughs> you still had to pay for it. Uh, right. Yeah. But so, you know, we drove probably seven days and stopping at each location there were people telling us that, you know, if you go to this one location, it's not that far out of Reykjavik, you can see volcanic activity. You can drive most of the way up the volcano. And then you, we were told it was like a mile or two hike. And then you can see active like volcano, volcanic activity. We were both interested in seeing that. So when we were coming back around getting close to Reykjavik, I think it was like day seven, uh, we had planned to make an excursion out to this this volcano to see this <laughs> but uh we, we when you go there there are different types of roads and and i don't remember what classification each road had but if i remember right the classification for the road uh, each car uh, was qualified to go on this alphabetic classification of the road and i think that our car was A and B roads, and then there were F roads that were like hardcore four by fours only. But uh, my understanding was that this was supposed to be like a B road and our Fiat Panda could go up this B road. So we decided to go as far as we could up the mountain, right? Uh, 
<laughs> and we uh, it was probably about an hour, an hour and a half when we ran into a, a snowdrift and it didn't look that big a deal. So I turned to Brett and I said, hey, let's just let's see if we can go through this snowdrift. And I ran in uh, to the snowdrift and because it was uphill, we got stuck not even halfway. It was probably a quarter way through the snowdrift and the, the gravity pulled us back out of that snowdrift. We were thinking, man, this this Fiat Panda is not going to make it up all the way. So we need to get off this mountain. We're not going to see what we came to see. This is not a B road. This is an F road, and we need a full-on four by four. So we turned around, and as we turned around, we found this fork in the road, and we thought that this uh, this would maybe be another road that wasn't covered in snow, and we could get to the top. So we started going down this road, and probably about 15 minutes later, we encountered another snowdrift. And <laughs> Brett was trying to warn me. He's like, "Don't, don't do this." And I said, "Well, let's see what it's like. I, I just want to do this." So I, we went into the snowdrift. This one wasn't, didn't happen to be uphill, so gravity wasn't helping us, and we got stuck. We got stuck in the snowdrift, and no matter how hard we tried, that car just would not get out of that snowdrift. Uh, we, <laughs> it was probably about forty-five minutes to an hour of trying to get that car rocking it back and oh forth gosh. to get out of that snowdrift before we realized that this car is not going to come out of this snowdrift. We need to do something. We need to dig this out. We, something. So we got out. We were trying to throw gravel. We were trying to throw stones, whatever, to get the wheels out. But turns out the snowdrift, I think, was probably four or five feet deep. And we just didn't realize it because it was in like a ravine. So every time we tried to dig this car out, we would get it like with our hands, with our bare hands. And it was probably 40 degrees, maybe 35, 40 degrees that day. Um, hands were just getting cold. But every time we dug that car out, it would just sink down a little further and it would just get stuck again. We just could not get that car out. Uh, we walked back on the trail, uh, probably about halfway down, and we came on this track vehicle that I think was a tour group. But for some reason, the track vehicle, the tour group had left the track vehicle behind because maybe it got stuck. I don't know. But we actually scavenged that track vehicle and uh, <laughs> we, we took out two shovels from the like toolbox that was on the side. And we walked back to the car and then continued to try digging that car out just to, to no to no avail we just never we never got that that car it just would not get out of that snowdrift even though we stole two shovels from a tour group <laughs> uh, did you leave a note or anything or was it just like sorry Oh no, we didn't leave a note. Our, our intention was to drive <laughs> back to that track vehicle and 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 put the shovels back, which we eventually did, but much later in the day than we expected. Uh, so, at that point, there's nobody. I mean, we I, we're in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where the nearest town is. I don't speak Icelandic. Luckily enough, most people in Iceland speak English, so that was a benefit. Uh, I'm thinking, man, we're going to have to hike back to the nearest town and get this thing towed out of here, which is going to cost us a small fortune. So I was I was calling around because I don't know where the nearest town was. Our, our GPS wasn't working on our phones, nothing. So we did have international. I don't know if I had international service or Brett did. I think it was me. Had international service on my phone. So I called the Icelandic equivalent of 911. I don't know what it was. It was like 919 or something like that. And uh, the the uh, the operator answered. I said, "Do you speak English?" And she she said, "Yes." I said, "Okay, great. I I think we need a tow truck to come get us." And of course, the next question out of her mouth was, "Where are you?" I <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't tell her. I I, I couldn't pronounce it. It's it's a mountain and it's in Icelandic. It's a. It's, and then she asked me to spell it. I said, "Well, I." <laughs> I can't, I can't do that either because they have their own alphabet. They have an alphabet with letters that I've never even heard of. It's like they're, they're, it's a, they have a letter that's an A and an E, and it's the same letter. I don't, it turns out I think that's called Epsilon or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. So she said basically she couldn't help us. I, I'm like, oh man, God. we are, now we are fucked, right? I called that 911 again, 919 or whatever it was, and got the same lady. And I'm like, hey, can you locate us with our phone or whatever? And you know, we're desperate here. There's nobody here. The sun's going down. I don't know. 
how we're going to get out of here. We need to get this car out, blah, blah, blah. And the same answer. We, we can't help you if we don't know where you are. So Brett and I are looking at each other thinking, oh, shit, man, what are we going to do? So luckily we had, I don't know, all the food that we were... Because Iceland is expensive, we went actually grocery shopping the first day we went on this road trip. So we had granola, we had water, we had everything that we really needed, uh, and we still had that in reserves. So we threw all that stuff in our backpacks and started walking, hopefully, to the next town. Uh, <laughs> when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this uh, group of guys, I think they were Polish, started going down the same road we were going down. And uh, we stopped them. Brett was like, hey, can you give us a ride to the nearest town? We just need to get a tow truck. Can you? These guys were very unwilling to help us. And we suspected, and we don't know, they weren't speaking English, but we suspected that they were making fun of us because we were stupid American tourists, right, who got our car stuck in a snowdrift like a bunch of idiots, right? They, they, We were talking to them for probably five or ten minutes. It seemed like a, a lifetime, but they were reluctant to help us. They would not help us but they were in a Hyundai or Honda or something like that. That was all wheel drive. Wasn't much more capable than our Fiat, but they thought so. And they went through the same snowdrift and they got stuck. Right. Oh. <laughs> so they got stuck in that snowdrift. And now we were like making fun of them. Right. Brett and I were like, yeah, stupid Polish tourists. But they were thinking the same thing that we were thinking. Right. You can dig it out. I think we tried to help them dig out that car for, I don't know, 45 minutes, and they never got their car dug out. And we're like, hey, we're, we're walking in the next town, and you guys want to walk. You, you can go with us. And we started walking, and we came up on a, uh, a German couple. I, three or four hours, Brett and I were trying to dig that car out, and we didn't run into anybody. And all of a sudden now, three, four hours later, there's two people, that, you know, two separate parties that come up. The, the, the second party had a uh, Toyota... I don't know. They don't sell them here. I think it's a Land Cruiser. It was like a diesel Land Cruiser. It's like a, a lot like a um, like a Wrangler, but you know it had a diesel engine in it, a full-on four by four. So at this point, I think those guys and Brett and I decided, hey, we're going to try and actually complete this trip. Maybe if this couple can get us out, we're going to try and actually go to the top of the mountain. I don't know why we decided this, but that couple pulled us through that snowdrift, didn't pull us out. They pulled us through. And then they pulled the guys in the Hyundai through the snowdrift. And then us group, like we had a, like a wagon train, got to another snowdrift and actually got stuck again in a snowdrift, right? And those guys, those Polish guys thought that they could get through that snowdrift and got stuck in that snowdrift, right? And then the German couple, that that that's when we decided, no, we're not doing this anymore. So that German couple pulled us out of that snowdrift, right? And they pulled the other guys out of that snowdrift. And we turned around and went back through the original snowdrift that we got stuck in and then got stuck again. And then that German couple had to pull us through and then and then pull the pull the other guys through. And then by that time, we had decided that we were done with this. So we went back down and I think we found the nearest hot spring and, and just got drunk and stayed in that hot spring. So just to relax. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's brutal. Yeah, now yeah, I can talk true. about it as if it's funny, but back then, man, I I I thought we were stranded in the middle of nowhere and we were gonna die. we were gonna die without any food or water or anything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't I don't think I heard the 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 full length of that story. I think you told me about it briefly, but Jesus. I truncate it because the long form isn't as funny as the short form, you know, where it just could not explain to those people on the phone where we were, what we were doing, how how we got there, why we were there. And then they asked us to spell it, and I just can't. I can't do that. I have no idea. I don't. To this day, I still couldn't tell you where I got stuck. What the name of that place is? It's Snail uh, something or another. I don't, you'd have to look at it on a map, and then try to pronounce it because you can't. You just can't. I, I, Icelandic language is is very difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah. How uh, was the? Was that like the tail end of the trip? So you just pretty much. Went to the hot Yeah, that was the last day. The day later. Fact, I was thinking that if we weren't going to get off that mountain, because both of our flights were the very next day. So we were going to drive into Reykjavik, stay the night at a hostel, and then get up and take, you know, turn the car in and 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 and, and fly out of there. But I was thinking, oh shit, man, we're going to be stuck on the side of this mountain all night and we're going to miss our flights. And I'm not, 
I'm going to work is not going to let me take all that time off. And I don't know, I'm not going to be able to afford getting this car towed out of here. I'm not going to be able to afford, you know, getting a new flight and all that. Yeah, man, I was panicking. I was definitely panicking. Yeah. But I mean, I, I wish we would have seen what there was to see at the top of that mountain, but I'm glad that, you know, it didn't turn out to be the disaster that it could have been. Yeah. I, I would definitely be panicking at that point. That's, that's like several hours of desperation. How was how was Col how was Coleman collected Brett doing? Because he's normally level headed with everything, but I bet he was shitting bricks as well. Uh, you know, he was his normal cool and collected self. Um, but you know what I was? It was pretty much my fault that we got stuck in there, right? Because I I looked at him I, I, before we did that snow drift. I was like, hey man, do you want to do this or not? And he's I'm looking at him and he's doing this. Uh, before he could even say no, I just put the car in gear and went, right? So, so I would the whole time I'm like, man, you know, Brett, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I owe you. He's like, I owe you a beer. I owe you several beers for this. But, you know, when he was trying to convince those guys to help us, you know, to help us out, I could tell there was a little bit of a, a, a exasperation in his voice because he's like, man, we're stuck. We just don't have anything. I've never seen Brett in that mode before, but uh other than that man he was pretty calm and collected and he never really he never really blamed me i you know i we got to the bar uh later the, the next day or whatever and i'm like man here's that beer and he's like man you don't owe me anything i was like yeah dude that was my fault I, it, it, that was just me being the stupid hasty person that i am like you know leaping before i look which is what i normally do uh, uh, you know to this day he still doesn't blame me so <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we can, we can transition from there. I know that, I, I know that in your travels, you went over to Japan and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And I, I just uh, think that's a cool story. Mount uh, Fuji so, in Japan. Mount Fuji, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Where's you Mount want to talk about Mount Fuji? Where's Mount Kilimanjaro? Kilimanjaro is in Tanzania. It's in Africa. Uh, you did that one too, right? Uh, I did Kilimanjaro this year. We in 2017 we did a, a friends trip to Japan and did Mount Fuji. Yeah. I don't know whatever one you want to talk about. I think they're both really cool. I didn't I didn't hear about the Kilimanjaro one, and I heard briefly about Fuji. Mount Fuji is uh, well at the time it was difficult, right? But I think it's. 12,000 feet and change. So it's really not a difficult mountain. There's really no skills that you need to do. But um, if you ever get the chance to do it, um, it was actually really cool. Um, I can tell you about it briefly. Um, it's You can do it in a day and come back down, but apparently there's like a, uh, I don't remember what it's called. I should look this up, but there's a name for, uh, the the journey that you do every good japanese in good shinto standing i guess is encouraged to climb uh mount fuji and see the sunrise from the top mm -hmm. so we kind of did it in that fashion um you climb up you do about three quarters of the way you stay in a hut with i don't know two three hundred other people in this hut and then they wake you up at the crack of dawn and you climb the last quarter portion to watch the sunrise and then you come back down um that that it, um it's not a very challenging climb so if anybody ever has the opportunity to do it i, I would encourage you to do that kilimanjaro on the other hand is is actually pretty challenging um uh this last july this is actually a trip um i've been planning for about three years uh i had it all mapped out and i was going to do it pre-pandemic but um when that hit i i had to cancel everything but luckily they um, gave me a discount as long as I kept my um, deposit with all the companies that I did. So uh, I got actually got a discount to do it. Uh, so I, I completed that trip in 2023. My goal was to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but since I was also there, um, I was gonna do a safari too, because I don't know when I'm ever gonna get back to that portion of the world. So I did a, a four day safari in, um, in the Serengeti which is incredible. And then um, after that, I I did a six day uh, trek up the up uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, 
you can do Mount Kilimanjaro in five days, but because the altitude is so high, they recommend that you do it uh, longer. Um, so I did the six day trek, which is still, they say is pushing it, but um, you, you do the same trek as you do the five day trek, except you spend an extra day uh, uh, um, at the camp, one camp down from base camp to acclimate, which is about, it was about, uh, I wanna say 10,000 feet, maybe 12,000 feet, something like that, just so you acclimate to the altitude. Um, yeah, so I, I did it by did myself. Did you just hire a guide? Did you just hire a guide for that? Because I like it's a little baffling to me that you can just kind of jump in without any like mountaineering experience. So Kilimanjaro is uh, does not require skills, right? It's not. There's no rock climbing. There's no, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what? I don't even. I'm not a rock climber, so I don't even know the terms. But. Uh, However, the, the government of Tanzania doesn't allow you to climb the mountain without a guide. So okay. um, I, it, to me, I think you could do it without a guide. Now that I've done it, you can do it without a guide, but I think they, they require that because it's a, it's a huge tourism boom for them. So you hire a guide, but that comes with a whole lot of things. For every person that goes up that mountain, you need three porters and a cook, right? So you're hiring all of those people. So mm -hmm. I had to have a guide, a cook, and um, I think it was four porters in my case because the the cook, no, it was three porters. The cook had his own porter, my guide had a porter, and then there was a porter for myself. So, but the, so our group was five people, even though it was just me um, climbing the mountain. And it, it's really weird, there's this, there's this uh, culture uh, like this service culture, um, the guide and the cook were the only two that actually climbed the mountain uh, next to me. There was actually a whole nother trail that the um, the porters were, and they they traveled this other trail because they didn't want to be seen, or they it was like part of the the service culture that you don't see the help. It was really yeah. really bizarre to me. Anyway, uh, you you start the trek. Uh, <sighs> day one i think it was about three miles that you hike every day you climb about a thousand kilometers uh, vertical but um every day was pretty much easy until you you summit so you go you stay at a camp um i stayed at a camp with a bunch of other people turns out they were doing the same route there are uh, if i back up there are probably five or six routes that you can take to get to the top of kilimanjaro um, the one I took is the oldest and the most popular route, also the cheapest. Um, so that's why I took it. So you, you stay at a camp with a bunch of other people who are also doing this same route. Um, and I can't remember what the route was called, but the nickname for it is the Coca-Cola route because it's popular and everybody takes it. Usually American tourists take it. Um, everybody else doing the Coca-Cola route stays in the same camp. You, 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 you get fed the same food and everything. So we stayed, we got to the first camp, right? Stay the night, it's in a bunk. Then you climb, which is mostly through a jungle, which is actually really cool. Uh, we saw monkeys, uh, 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 there's local uh, antelope. It's like they're deer, they call it Dick Dick. That was really cool, we saw one of those. And then uh, um, there, we got to the second camp. When you do the second camp, you come out in what they call the um, the highlands, grasslands, or something like that. So less less um, wildlife, but you're still climbing about a thousand kilometers, and then you get to the next camp, and then that camp is the one where we stayed. I stayed an extra day at that camp to acclimate to the um, to the altitude. So we hiked around uh, that area on day three. And then day four, you you hike from there to base camp through what they call the um, Alpine Desert, which is basically a desert, but it's really, really cold up there. And then the very next day, you go to bed early, and then they get you up at, at uh, when did we get up? Was it 4 a.m.? It's either 3 or 4 a.m. Because you, <clears throat> you hike from base camp to the peak, 
And then once you get to the peak, uh, Kilimanjaro is a, uh, a, a volcano, but it's been dormant for like a thousand years or something like that. So where where I was summiting, um, you have to walk around the crater to get to the actual summit of the mountain. Uh, but they 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 do it in the morning so that you can get most of the hike done and come back down and still be in the middle of the day because you got to come back down. You come back down to base camp, you 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 rest and then you go back to the next camp down and all in the same day. So they want to be able to they get you up early so you can do all of that. Um, but from base camp to um, to what they call uh, man, I should have wrote this down. I can't remember the name of the uh, Gilman's Point. That's where I got to. So from base camp to Gilman's Point kicked my ass. It was one of the most difficult things I, I've ever done. It was probably a four hour ascent, and the it, it was steep. It was like I don't even know what the grade is, but it was so steep, and it was just loose gravel. So every step that you took you slid back down. So it was like three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And by the time I got to Gilman's point, man, I had like no energy left. Like I, I have nothing left, but you still had to walk around the crater, which was like another three kilometers to get around to the, the peak. But my guide, he, he, he understood that he's done it before. And so he knows that people are like exhausted by that time. So He's just like, man, if you have to look down at the ground or if you have to do whatever, just watch your feet. He's like, just one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. And it took me about an hour and a half to get around that crater because I was just exhausted. But I got around to the peak and I can show you pictures of that. Uh, and then came back, came back to Gilman's point. And then he was actually showing me a really cool way. I'll, I'll send I'll send you a video of this. But they, he said he called it African skiing, my guide in the uh you come down that loose gravel that was impossible to climb up, but you go down the sheer face of the mountain and you just sort of kick your heels up as you're going down and then gravity pulls you all the way down the mountain. So uh, what it took like an hour and a half to hour and a half, two hours to go from base camp to Gilman's point took about 15 minutes to get back down. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then you go back down to, um, not the base camp, but the camp before that. And then you go from that camp all the way back to the beginning on day six. So yeah, it was, it was a hell of an adventure and uh, probably won't do it again because it kicked my ass. But if you get the opportunity to do Kilimanjaro, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. That's nuts. I, I, I told you earlier that we talked to some people who climbed Mount Whitney and they actually brought their skis up. So they would bring it to the top and then ski down, you know, actually on skis, similar to what you did with your heels. Um, but yeah, similar de deal. It kicked their ass. They were, they had like some water struggles. So they were actually hallucinating when they got to the peak and stuff like that. Uh, um, yeah, man. So there's two, two other interesting things. Um, they they talk about there is a there is a, a a pill you can take that helps you with altitude sickness, but um, I don't I, I I know a lot of people were asking for it. I didn't I could tell that the oxygen was affecting like my breathing patterns. Like I got a little bit lightheaded, but I, I never had a, a, an issue with with altitude sickness. But the day before we were supposed to uh, climb to the we were supposed to summit the mountain. Uh, <clears throat> I can send some pictures and show you, but we all stayed in huts. Like everybody who was going to summit, were staying in these huts and there was no insulation on these huts. So they were just like uh, wood, wooden panel huts. And I could, there was a, there was a Danish family that I was climbing most of the mountain with and they were in the, they were in the room next to us in this hut and their son had gotten uh, altitude sickness that night and was just vomiting all through the night. So even though they woke us up at like three in the morning, I was still up since midnight because I, that dude just would not stop vomiting and they gave him those pills, but it didn't seem to help. They gave him water and those pills and he just like, he vomited all of that. So the dad and the son actually hiked back down and the mom hiked up with us in the morning. Um, and then I actually ended up talking to her quite a bit on the, uh, the trip or uh, not at base camp, but the next camp, the night, the one night that I spent before I had to come all the way back down, she and I had uh, dinner together in the hut. Yeah, basically he he it didn't affect him all through the trip and they were 
of all the people that were climbing, it was myself, one other guy, one woman, and this family that were out in front of everybody because uh, everybody else was uh, either feeling the effects of altitude or just not not very athletic, whatever. But as we were coming back down, I was talking to her, and she had said that, yeah, he he just couldn't handle it. It was the altitude sickness. It was nothing to do with your fitness level or anything. He just started vomiting and, and couldn't stop and and made it all the way to base camp but couldn't couldn't do the rest of the mountain i would be very upset and disappointed by that oh yeah that's disappointing oh my gosh yeah the other part was interesting is one of the guys that i did the trip with did this whole mountain biking excursion so he was under the impression that he was going to mountain bike most of the mountain and honestly you can't it's just not it's not possible. He mountain biked on the trails where it was mostly easy to mountain bike, but once you summit and that loose gravel, you couldn't you couldn't ride a bike up that. There's just it's it's not possible, right? There's no switchbacks. It was just there's no trail or anything. It's just this loose gravel, you know, steep slope. So the the plan was that they were going to ride the bike around the crater, but they had to get the bike up there. So he actually they they brought an extra porter just so that guy could carry the bike on his back. There was a porter who summited with us in the morning with a bike on his back, and he got to the top before all of us did. So that guy, the guy who did the, the bicycle uh, trek, his name was Paul. He was from Northern England. I don't remember what town he said he was from, but he was telling me that um, had he had known that they were gonna have a porter take the bike up the mountain, he would have never done that in the first place. But I think he paid them a lot of a lot of money. You're you're supposed to customarily tip the porters and the the cook and the and the guide and all that stuff. And he was telling me he was going to tip that guy extra just because he carried a freaking bike on his a freaking mountain bike on his back up the mountain. I man, I barely made it up that mountain. That porter dude, that that dude was tough. That you have to be really tough to be able to do that. Yeah, he's probably cussing him out the whole time. Yeah, of all yeah, the things yeah. I've had to do, I've never had to carry a bike to the top of this nineteen thousand foot mountain. Yeah, yeah, nineteen thousand three hundred or four hundred feet, something like that. I was definitely lightheaded when I got to the top, but um, it the the altitude sickness. There were a lot of people who were being led back down the mountain because they couldn't handle it. Yeah, it 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 it, it was pretty high. My understanding is that if you go any higher than that, like if you do uh, K two or Denali or uh, 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 Everest, you actually have to take air with you, like compressed air, because you can't you can't do the rest of it. Like up, what is Everest is almost like thirty thousand feet, right? It's like twenty nine thousand, something like that. Uh, someone was telling me that Denali, uh, okay, Denali is a longer hike. It might be considered the largest mountain in the world because you start from zero elevation and you climb up to 20,000 feet whereas Everest it's taller in uh like the peak is taller but the range that you're climbing in is not as tall I thought that was kind of interesting um but yeah I, I didn't know you had to bring oxygen or, or anything you have to bring air well they bring air anyway right like at Kilimanjaro they brought air just in case you need it but my understanding is that you can't do you can't do Everest or anything like that without it like once you get to a certain point like the air is so thin that you just won't you wouldn't survive so you you have to do it I I don't know if I'm gonna set that goal in my life like I'm not a mountain climber I just wanted to do Kilimanjaro but um maybe someday I don't know no, that's that's cool. I, I didn't realize that uh, you know you could essentially walk it, have more or less zero experience. I, I think even Mount Rainier, when we told that story, uh, you had to have some like mountaineering experience to get up that because you're you're hiking, you're rock climbing, you're doing crazy stuff that's really dangerous. Uh, I could be mistaken though. What um, does it take? Like, do do you rock climb? Uh the only rock climb I've done was really when. We were living in Louisville, just kind of going to those oh, gyms. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know what it like. If if there's a technical climb that you have to do, I don't know what kind of certification you you need. Because um, th there is Kilimanjaro is actually two peaks, um, and I don't remember. 
what they called the, the, the peak that you can do, the, the taller peak is the one that I did, but there's another peak, they call it Mawinze, and it's really jagged and rugged, and you can't do that unless you're, it's a skilled climb, right? So not as many people do it, and it's more challenging, but um, I don't know what certification you need to actually do a climb like that, to do like a technical climb, or you just tell them that you're willing to do it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I think Mount Rainier, you had to get a permit. And I don't know okay. if that was to to reduce traffic or what, but maybe it's just to say, "Hey, I'll be on here if you don't find me." I'm you can somewhere. do it yourself without a guide. That's what it's. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's cool. I I I want to do uh, next, not next year, but the following year. Um, my plan is to, to complete my uh, seven continents thing. I'm going to do um, Antarctica. But my plan is while I'm down there, I'm also going to do a trek around um, Patagonia. But there's no mountain climbing involved. It's just looking around. I don't know if I'm ever going to set my goal to do another mountain like that again. Uh, it, not that it kicked my ass or, well, it did kick my ass, but that's not why I don't want to do that. I just want to try something different next time. Yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, I have not been to Africa. I need to get out there at some point. I've done europe central america and north america i haven't been really anywhere else but that's a very cool goal and i don't know i don't know anybody who's really been in to antarctica so good for you uh i don't know if you remember uh there was an engineer that we worked with she was uh upper body structures do you remember wrong wrong chen no i don't she uh when I was, she took the opportunity, you know, uh, Ford gave us so much time off between Christmas and New Year's, right? Mm -hmm. He took that opportunity and went and did um, Antarctica, which is what kind of gave me the idea and the inspiration to do it. And she said, you should do it. It's amazing. It's incredible. So I, I, ever since then, I've wanted to do it and uh, it, it, I've made it a goal. It's just a far out goal. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we want to tell our quick, just the quick short version of, of our little road trip that we did? Um, and then we can tie everything up. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell it or do you want me to tell it? Uh, I could dive in. So I went to school up at Michigan Tech. I think I've mentioned it in every single episode. It's in the upper peninsula of, of Michigan. And I love it up there. Uh, I wanted to bring a lot of the Ford people up there to just show them around and, and do camping. And I bought a brand new 2016 F-150. Literally had like <laughs> a month of miles on it. or I, I owned it for a month. And then we we crammed like five guys into this this car. And it was I, a super Yeah, it was cab. an extra cab, mind you. It wasn't the crew cab. Yep. So very tall men squeezed in the back seat. Uh, yeah, we played uh, N64 on the way up because I had two, two outlets. Um, so people were just playing. I think people played zelda you guys played zelda the whole time zelda and mario tennis and what else did we have we had another game but it was mostly it was mostly zelda we made it a goal to finish the ocarina time before the whole trip finished but we never did i don't think we did no we didn't. um so we get we went up there and um since i went to college there i i knew all the rustic camping spots and so we we drove this truck to the very tip top of of the peninsula stayed there um that's still like one of my favorite camping spots um stayed at breakers which is on the west coast of the q and um that might have been the only two spots but uh and didn't we stay in the fraternity house for we stayed at your flat house yeah yeah so the first night i think we drove from detroit all the way up to your fraternity house and we stayed there yeah. that first night yeah and then I think we did the breakers and then we stayed, uh, I think it was in Copper Harbor. Yeah. High Rock Bay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then came back down and uh, I think from Copper Harbor, we drove all the way to Wisconsin, right? And then dropped you off. Yeah. So when we went to High Rock Bay, it's, it's two tracks for sure. And there's trees and everything around. And this is a brand new truck with nothing <laughs> on it. And we're driving it under and through trees and it's just scraping the side, the sides of it. I had to like chant to myself, it's just a truck. It's a, it's a truck. That's why you bought it, <laughs> man. I didn't know that you were 
you were like that stressed out about it. I thought, man, I was like, man, it's a brand new truck and we're doing this huge trip on it. And he's being so cool. You even let us take it without you. You let us take your brand new truck onto the Twin Cities without you. Yeah, I had a bachelor party and uh, they were going to finish the loop around Lake Michigan. Uh, but I was up there with uh, Tim. Tim drove up there just by happen chance or happenstance. I don't know what the phrase is. Yeah, he, camped, so, he, he camped with us in Copper Harbor, right? He rode in the bed of the truck through the woods to get to that campsite because our truck was already full. So he's just flopping around in the back. I just see him. <laughs> I don't remember that. But yeah, because we didn't have another spot. Um, but yeah, I just threw you guys the keys. You guys went over to the Twin Cities where you went to college. Yeah. Like, All right, don't break my truck, guys. I'm going to a bachelor party. Um, One of my favorite parts of that story is when we first got to the UP, and we stopped at a gas station and uh, I think we got a 30 rack of Bud Light because, hey, we're camping, we're, we're doing all sorts of crazy stuff, right? We need, we need a lot of beer. So I don't, I don't know why we pulled it into the cab, but we were opening that box, maybe putting it in, in the cooler or whatever, but we had a couple and they were, they were sitting on the, um, on the center console, right? And we, we all got in the car, I think we're loading up you know, that's what it was. I think Rich was putting beers into the cooler through the through the window, the back window, right? Because yep. he didn't want to get out and do that. But we had one on the center console, and, and I, I think you were driving. You hit the accelerator, and one of them rolled off the center console and hit the, the, the seat rail. And I'm like, holy shit, man, this is this guy's brand new truck. And now we got this beer <laughs> bursting and spraying all over everything everywhere. So I rolled the window down in the back. And I hung that beer out the window and it's spraying everywhere and we're driving down and turns out that gas station was right next door to the local cop station. And we got lucky that the cops didn't see us, but we're sitting there with this beer bursting, hanging out like a bunch of idiots in the UP. Yeah. With the beer, you know, spilling out the side of the truck. Not, I was surprised that the cops didn't come over and question what we were doing. That's, that's one I of my favorite about that. About that yeah. I probably but wasn't freaking out. Like, you son of a bitches are <laughs> getting so much shit in my truck. Yeah, man. I was surprised that your truck doesn't still smell like beer. We got beer all over that truck. It sprayed <laughs> everywhere in the carpet, everything. Yeah. And I was I've panicking. Definitely my use out I of that. To... What's that? I definitely have gotten my use out of that thing. Yeah. You still have that truck? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's probably got a couple hundred thousand miles on it now. Yeah. I think it's like 130, 140 now. Wow, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we rode on to the Twin Cities and uh, uh, spent some time with my friends there uh, biking around the Twin Cities. I don't know uh, if you've ever been there, but it's a really bikeable city. And when I lived there, I biked everywhere. And you can bike from brewery to brewery. So that was pretty much our goal. We met up with a bunch of my friends and we biked from brewery to brewery and just got hammered. And then uh, on our way back, we picked you up in Wisconsin, right? And then headed yeah. back. Yeah. At the bachelor party. Yeah. I was the last person to leave the bachelor party. And what we did is we we went to Wisconsin Dells and they had a bunch of cabins. So we rented out this cabin. I think we rented out two. And we all just spunked up at the cabin. Um, you know, that morning everyone left, and I'm just sitting here outside the cabin that's locked up, waiting for you guys to show up. And I think I was there by myself for an hour, and they just had, you know, we had a bunch of beer left over. I was like, well, you know screw it. I'll just start drinking. And you guys picked me up <laughs> and you guys were so exhausted from driving from probably hungover from being in the twin cities. We were and very I'm just like, I'm just like buzzed and having a great time. It's like, Oh, cool. You guys didn't break my truck. You want to drive my drunk loud ass home. And I think, I, I think you were like, shut up, Tyler. Just we all just were. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were all like really hungover from that beer. Like, uh, from the the beer tour that we did that brewery tour that we did so we get up the next morning and we have to drive i don't know 10 12 hours from the twin cities back to detroit and i think we picked you up after hour two or three so we're all road haggard not just from the whole trip but also from this particular last leg of it right. we picked you up and you were just like hey guys what's up guys hey you wanna you wanna wanna and we're just like tyler shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know, man, that that was a fun trip. I, uh, 
I still, I, I still think about that trip a lot. It, 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 I had a lot of fun on that trip. Yeah. That was fun. And that was like, uh, I don't know. That was an interesting group of people too, wasn't it? It was like five guys that hung out a lot, but didn't hang out that intimately, I guess. And we yeah, hadn't known each like, other a whole lot before that, but you know, we've gotten to be better friends since. Yeah. 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 That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, we're, we're going to be going up there for Bohemia. Um, Oh yeah. You went, um, you went snowballs. You went to Bohemia, right? Once. Uh, and you went snowmobiling with us. I didn't go snowmobiling. I, I did go skiing, but I didn't do the snowmobiling part. I, I, I hung back for that, but, um, I did go up there and go skiing with you guys in the big cabin with a bunch of people. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I've been skiing for a long time, but, um, in my younger life, I skied a lot and then, uh, got away from it. And then when I went skiing there was the first time I had been skiing in probably 10 years. And Mount Bohemia, man, is no joke. That place, like you guys all got off the lift. We all got off the lift at the same time and went down the back way into all that powder. And yep. I, it, that kicked my ass. All of Bohemia kicked my ass that weekend. And I was like, man, I am not as good a skier as I thought I was. It kicked the shit out of me. And then maybe two years later, we decided to do a friend's trip to go to Colorado and I'm like, man, I don't know if I really want to do this because I'm not as good a skier as I thought I was. But we go to Breckenridge and I start skiing. And like Breckenridge is not nearly as challenging as Mount Bohemia is. Mount Bohemia is freaking scary. It's it's a hidden gem. It doesn't have the altitude that you get out of Colorado, but because it's all backcountry ungroomed, it's just it's sneaky. It's fun. And it's steep as hell, man. Like all of the runs are stupid steep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to go up there for that, and then we'll be going up in the summer for the fraternity's like, 50th reunion or something like that. So that'll be great. You, uh, um, Rich and Danielle are going with you, right? They're going to Bohemia, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. Steph and Matt. Steph and Matt. When are you going? Uh, that will be February. No. Uh, let me look it up. I know we're doing business on air. People don't care, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, the 18th, January 18th through 22nd. Gotcha. That'll be cool, man. That'll be cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. This was fun. I uh, I love hearing these stories. I think that's a very awesome goal that you're trying to achieve, and I know it's taking you a lot of places. Um, you know, Maybe when you complete it or if we're still doing this in a year, we can have you back on and tell some more stories. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for listening to the High Quality Fun Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this show, please give us a follow. And if you have a good story or just want to say hi, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or YouTube. Thanks for listening.